I've been a pastor for almost 45 years. And I know that throughout my ministry, I needed times to get away, to be with my family, to regroup, uh, to refresh myself and to renew the relationships that uh, sometimes are stressed because of the commitments we have to the people in the church. And I want to encourage you to set your pastor free to enjoy those times away. He'll come back more refreshed and you will be more blessed. Um, He certainly is a pastor that I respect, my wife and I do. We're here partly because we believe in his leadership, but he is unparalleled in my estimation of a pastor with a shepherd's heart. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you've been here any amount of time, you know that's the case. But pastors with a shepherd's heart need to sometimes just get away so they can have time to enjoy his own flock. And uh, so he will uh, be coming back, I think, this week. Uh, He was gone a couple weeks ago at the men's retreat, as I was. And uh, I think in November, he's going to be away for a a mission trip to Africa. So you're well taken care of here with the rest of the leadership here and the pastors of the church. And uh, so my wife and I are glad to be underneath his uh, ministry. Uh, Pastor... Bill Acton and I, we sort of sit on the bench uh, every week, prepared and ready to help in any way we can. Now, Pastor Bill is already in the Pastor's Hall of Fame. (laughs) So he was asked to preach two weeks ago while we were away at the men's retreat. But this week, Pastor Kevin tapped me on the shoulder and asked if I would fill in. Now, while I was away at the men's retreat, I was told that Pastor Bill began his sermon by saying something like this, that I've come to scare the hell out of you. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but, you know, we were talking about that at the men's retreat. He said he could say almost anything he wants. At this stage of life, he's earned that privilege, and... uh, Now, I'm not quite at that stage, and I'm not sure I have uh, gained that uh, status amongst you to come up with a one-liner like that for the purpose of my sermon. But if he came to scare you, then I come this morning to stir up in you your faith in the faithfulness of a promise-keeping God. And I hope that comes through in what I am going to share with you this morning. And to do this, I have chosen two related Bible stories. One from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Uh, The first story from the Old Testament is a foreshadow. It is an anticipation of the second story we will talk about. It is a promise of better things to come. In the second story, it is the hope of Israel that becomes reality. And it becomes reality in amazing accuracy. Now, these stories have incredible parallels. In both stories, we have two fathers. And both of them are adoring of their only begotten sons. 
they have, each of them have a son. And the sons are about the same age as when we look at our stories. 30 years old. The faith that they have in their fathers will be tested, however, by radical, costly obedience. In each story, there will be an altar. And that altar will be placed on the very same place, the very same mountain in the land of Moriah. And in these stories, God will provide. He will provide an innocent sacrificial lamb. And the events that took place in these two stories are separated by almost 2,000 years. And yet when you look at the parallel and the comparison, it's uncanny. It's unbelievably accurate and uh, appropriate. Now these vivid pictures, I believe, of these two events are given to us to build confidence to build confidence in the reliability of the scriptures, but also to stir up within us this confidence in a promise-keeping God. There are so many promises God has made throughout the scriptures. And our faith is tested when we are questioning or asked to act upon those promises. What we're looking at is a story. A story that began even in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. So it might be helpful before we look at these two stories to give a very brief biblical background for the events we're going to look at. We are doing this to better appreciate God's faithfulness to his promises And the kind of faith that he desires that will glorify him. So let's begin by talking about God's promises. The God, or the promise that God made from the very beginning, even before the foundation of the world, is that he would send forth a son of destiny. We learn about this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And there we learn that God is going to send forth a son. He's going to send forth a son. This occurred, this promise came after Adam and Eve had disobeyed the Lord. And that is when he enters in. And he offers this wonderful gospel promise. That a son would be born who would be a heel-crushing son. He would put enmity and strife and animosity between the serpent, the devil, and between the seed of a woman. And the woman will be Israel. Now the Lord gave this pronouncement in the presence of the serpent And Adam and Eve. Because for the serpent it is his curse. And to Adam and Eve it is their hope. Um, 
the enmity that is used by God between the serpent and the seed of a woman or Israel will be played out throughout human history, but especially in the Old Testament, we see it. Where the seed of the woman is under threat by the seed of the serpent. There's this battle going on, even to this very day, to understand world history. You must see that this enmity is still going on between Israel and the seed of the serpent. But the Lord promised that he would send a son. A son from Israel's seed. And he would be born to crush the head of the serpent after he had been bruised or bitten on the heel. In other words, what does this mean? That it would be through a son of a woman of Israel who would receive this mortal bite, this wound, if you would, by the serpent. But the sun would arise to fatally crush the serpent's head into the ground. God is announcing the defeat of the purposes and the plans of the devil. And that is also going to give hope to Adam and Eve and to all those who follow. The Bible is uh, very accurate. The Bible is very reliable. And so when God gives this first promise, that promise is going to come true. And we're going to look at two examples. The one in which we see the hope of that promise coming true, and then we will see the actual fulfillment of it. This gospel that we refer to of the heel crusher coming is referred to as the first gospel, the first proclamation of the gospel. So throughout the rest of Israel's history in the Old Testament, there was in every generation this hope that the sun, the heel-crushing sun would come, that he would come, he would be the Messiah, and he would come to save them from the curse, from the enmity of the serpent. And this is where we pick up our story of a man by the name of Abraham. And it was to him that God promised a son of blessing. And we find that in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Let me read it to you. You can read it on the screen or look it up in your own text. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is God's promise to Abraham, who is, by the way, of the seed of the Messiah. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. But it's the last line that we want to focus on for a moment here. And in you, that would be in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There is a connection with the Genesis 3 promise that a son would come. Now the Lord makes that promise uh, known again to Abraham. There would be a heel crusher. Who's coming and he is coming. But I'm going to give you a son. And through this son. All the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words that seed will carry on. 
Messiah will come forth from you. You may remember that God promised Abraham a son of blessing. And that he did. And Abraham was at the age of about, some suggested about the age of uh, 80 years old. And Sarah at the age of 70 when God made that first uh, promise of a son of blessing. And by their estimation, and perhaps those who knew him well, they were done with having a family. Um, And when Sarah heard God's promise for her and her husband, that they would have a son in their convalescent age, that was more than Sarah could take. And it says in scriptures, she laughed. Uh, her response would be something like this. God, are you kidding? And God was not joking. The Lord waited more than 20 years to fulfill that promise so that Abraham would be about 100. Yike. And she would be 80. There's no way they wanted to be pushing a baby carriage or changing diapers, or late night taking care of a baby. So the Lord waited those years. Why did he wait so long? Because I believe he was testing their faith. But he was also waiting until there was no physical capacity at all to perform what God wants to be performed. He's making a statement to them and to us That it is not by the power of man, the will of man, even by the effort of man, the work of man, to fulfill God's eternal purposes. It is God who will do this. It's a demonstration of his sovereignty, of his uh, eternal purposes. And when their blessed son was born, they called him Isaac. And you know what his name meant? Laughter. After Sarah's comments. So every time they called their son to come in for dinner, they would say, hey, laughter, get in here. Hey, laughter, come on. I'm not sure he understood all the, that meant. But it was no laughing matter when the Lord appeared to Abraham 30 years later. 30 years later, and the Lord is going to command him to kill his son, to sacrifice him. God's promise is going to be tested. Abraham's faith is going to be tested in God, in who he is. Is he reliable? Is this God a God to be trusted? We'll see in this first story that God's promise is tested. But we'll see that Abraham's faith will be revealed by his obedience. Obedience reveals our faith. And that is an important part of our story to see. If you have your Bible, let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 10. 
It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, or his servants who were nearby, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hands the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father... And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order And bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. My friends, that's a test of faith. Can you believe a God who makes a promise and fulfills it and then ask for you to sacrifice him? Amazing story. How do we do understand the, the first words of our text here? After these things. What things? Well, Moses is reminding us, the readers, that what is following in this story is based upon, is predicated upon the history of God's promise to bless Abraham with a son, in whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. In Isaac... The hope of salvation rested. Not just for Israel, but for all of humanity, including us today. So when we read this story, if you didn't know what came next, you would have to say, God, what are you doing? (laughs) If he kills his son, we have no savior. Do you follow the tension? And Abraham is put in that test of his faith. If Isaac died, the promised seed was gone. There would be no savior. But it also puts into question the very nature of God. His sovereignty. If what he promised couldn't be fulfilled, that would say something about God not having full power and authority. And that's the tension we should feel as the events unfold in our story. It was after these things that the Lord said to Abraham, take your son whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him as a burnt sacrifice or offering on a mountain that I will show. Now let's put ourselves in Abraham's sandals for a moment. 
God is not only commanding him to kill his only begotten son, which in itself puts into question God's holy nature, but it also puts into jeopardy the coming of the long-anticipated Messiah, which we've talked about. But it is out of faith in God and God's promise that Abraham rose up early the next morning willing to do God's will. He saddled the donkey, took two servants with him to travel with him and Isaac. A wood was cut, and the wood was cut to be provide uh, fuel for the fire, for the burnt offering on the altar. We're told that they traveled three days until they reached a land called Moriah. And there the Lord showed Abraham as they got near this place, the mountain that they were to climb. But an amazing thing took place here. Before Abraham and Isaac climbed up the mountain, he told his servants, you stay here, we will come back to you again. Now, why did he say that? If he said, I will return, we get it, right? We will return? I mean, he knew that Isaac was going to have to be sacrificed. He was going to be slain. He was going to be offered on an altar. What was going on in Abraham's mind? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. It's on the board as well. This gives us the insight we've been looking for. God was testing Abraham's faith, right? Now we'll see the kind of faith that he had. When I read about this man's faith, I'm asking myself, do I have that kind of faith? I pray that God will give me that kind of faith. But having read this story, I think I have more reason to have faith in a promise-keeping God. It says, by faith, when he, that is Abraham, was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Notice the author here is saying he's supposed to kill the one and whom the promise of the Messiah will come. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That's faith. That is faith, my friends. This is an amazing story. He and Isaac were going to return. Why did he believe that? Because he believed if God had promised to bless the world through his son Isaac, but also commanded that his son be sacrificed, he said, then God would raise him from the dead. Because why? Because God is a promise-keeping God. Let me just put a thought out in your mind. 
I don't know what tests you're going through, but I can assure you that God has made promises that he will keep. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. When you feel like you're in the midst of a situation, there's, you know, like you've been abandoned by the world and family and who knows who all. No, not our God. Because he promised he would not abandon us. Or we read from the Apostle Paul. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in heaven. Right now you may say, I'm going through this time of great need. I'm telling you, my friends, based on the scriptures that talk about a promise-keeping God, you can rely on the fact that God knows your need and he will provide exactly what is needed to accomplish his purposes through you. Do you believe that's true? It's easy to say that when we're sitting in a pew. It's very hard when you are in the unemployment line or when you are in the hospital or you are in court. For who knows what reasons. Notice that Abraham did not question the character of God. He didn't say, what kind of a God are you? To say you will do this and then you do that. He's not questioning the sovereignty of God. He's not questioning the holiness of God. Instead, he believed his God was holy and sovereign. That's why he could believe his God would raise his son from the dead. By the way, what is faith? A lot of definitions out there. Let me suggest one to you. Faith is acting on what we believe to be true about God and radically depending on him to provide for us whatever is needed. I think I'm going to repeat that one. Not just because I wrote it. But because it is so informative for my own thinking. Let me read it again. Faith is acting upon what you believe to be true about God and radically depending upon him to provide for us whatever is needed to accomplish his divine purpose. Do you believe that's true? If we believe that is true, there would be so much more peace in our lives. There'd be so much more confidence. And that's what Abraham believed as he was going up that hill. Uh, Before we get to the top, what do we know about Isaac? We know a little bit. He was about the age of 30 in the prime of his life. He also knew God had commanded his father to go to this land of Moriah to offer a sacrifice. Uh, I believe he shared his father's faith and being pleased to accompany his father on this uh, if you would, holy journal journey. We found out he knew that they didn't bring along a lamb. And he thought his dad would provide or find a lamb. But he definitely didn't know, did not know, that he was to be the one to be sacrificed. So when it was time to claim the mountain, Abraham. Now picture this, okay? Abraham is ready to go. They've got the donkey. They've got the two servants. Here's his only begotten son. They're ready to go up the hill. They've already told the men, you stay here, the donkey. We're going up the hill. 
Father Abraham takes the lumber that his son is to be sacrificed on. And he puts it on his shoulder. Do you get the picture? Age 30, the promised son. And he carries this wood for his altar up the mountain. And that mountain is in Moriah. And Isaac's asked, where's the limb? And Abraham says, well, God will provide. Abraham wasn't lying, but he was hoping against hope that God might find another way, that there might be another lamb to take rather than his own son. And I think what Abraham was saying may sound familiar to you if you're a New Testament reader. If there be any way, Lord, let my son live, but not my will, thy will be done. I think that's part of the spirit, at least, of Abraham. And when they reached the top of the summit, they built an altar, as we've talked about. Then they put the wood on the altar. But what was missing? A sacrifice. A lamb. There wasn't a lamb yet. But then Abraham told his son, my son, you are the lamb that God has chosen to be sacrificed. There's no mention in our text of any trickery on behalf of Abraham or a struggle with Isaac. Instead, we are told that Abraham bound his hands and his feet on the altar on the wood that he carried up the hill of Moriah. Are you following the picture? It appears that Isaac conceded to God's demand and his father's request. And the moment that Abraham feared had come. He took out his knife to slaughter his only begotten son, the son of promise. Amazing story, my friends. Let's read what took place next. Verse 11. And the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know. I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught on a thicket by his thorns, his horns. And Abraham went and took the, the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Did you notice the tense of those comments? Notice it isn't, 
he had provided. That would limit it to God had provided a lamb here for Isaac uh, and for Abraham. But notice it has a future tense. It'd be something like this. As God provided a lamb for Abraham, so he shall provide a lamb at this place in the future. Abraham obeyed God because he had faith in his covenant-keeping, his promise-keeping God. And we will be tested probably daily, but there are seasons of testing where we will be tested to believe whether that's true or not. Will you remember this story? (laughs) I hope so. But our story's not through. Remember I told you we would look at one story that anticipates another and that the second story will be the fulfillment, almost an exact accuracy of what we saw in the first story will come true in the second. And now we will see God's promise fulfilled. That God sent his son to fulfill his promise. His only begotten son. I need to just quickly remind you of what we began with. Remember God made a promise in Genesis of a seed from a woman. A son who would be a heel crushing son. That God would give to Abraham a son of blessing, and that he did. But we are in the scriptures reminded, especially in Luke and in Matthew, that Jesus is that promised son. That's why Matthew begins his gospel by saying, I I need to show you right up front (laughs) that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And in Matthew's gospel, He wants to lay out for us the genealogy of Christ. And he traces the seed of Jesus, beginning with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David to Joseph, his father by adoption, Jesus' father by adoption. In Luke's account, he traces Jesus' seed all the way back to Adam so it starts with Jesus, goes all the way back to Adam, and then it goes into eternity, and it concludes the Son of God. Notice the importance for us is to say that if you believe that God made a promise to send forth a son who would redeem us from the curse, Jesus is that son. Can show the genealogy to demonstrate that. Two of them, actually. We believe that Luke's account is of Mary's ancestry from whom the woman that God had appointed and promised she would have a heel-crushing son. We know that Mary had been promised that she would have a son. And, uh, And we find in Luke where it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This son, who is from the seed of Abraham, 
of David is the promised Messiah and he will have a kingdom that will last, that is unshakable. That's what Mary was hoping for and believing in. Now I need to, I'm just going to tell you the rest of the story. I think you know the story so well, but I'm not sure you've ever read the story after having read the story of Abraham and Isaac. Let me see if I can quickly do that. Jesus knew very early in his life that he was the son in whom God was well pleased. Around the age of 30. Remember Isaac? About 30. Jesus knew that he was a son in whom God was pleased. He learned that or he, I believe he already knew that, but that it was affirmed to him by the father at his baptism. He ministered for three years. Three years of most incredible ministry that has ever been witnessed anywhere at any time. Performed miracles to attest to his claims that he was the Messiah. Um, did many wonderful things. Jesus knew when it came close to Passover, uh, in the third year of his ministry, that his hour had come. Isaac did not know when he climbed the mountain that his day had come, but Jesus did and still went to the mountain. Jesus knew he had come for this purpose. He came to save us from our sin. Talk about a promise-keeping God. If you have any questions today about whether God is trustworthy, remember this story. When you read what took place that week, how he entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That he was taken, imprisoned, belittled, berated, mocked, spit upon, whipped. And what did they put on his head? What did they put? A crown of thorns? Really? The son of promise is wearing a crown of thorns. Just like the lamb on that mountain was caught with thorns in its head. He is the lamb. And then what do they do? They place on his shoulders the wood of his own sacrificial altar. Isaac carried his. Jesus carried his. Up the mount. By the way, remember it says that the Lord would show Abraham where to go? A place in Moriah 
to a mountain he would point to. That mountain is referred to as Jerusalem, Mount Zion, where the lamb was sacrificed by Abraham is the site of where David built the temple. But it was on that mountain, very close to that place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, that the son of promise carried laboriously, painfully, the cross that he would bear, bearing on his head the crown of thorns, just like the lamb foreseen in Abraham's day. And it was there, we're told by the scriptures, especially in Isaiah 53, that Jesus was crucified not just by the hands of men, but by whom? His father. Remember, Abraham was to be the one to slay his son. Isaiah 53 tells us that the Lord laid on him the iniquity, the sin, all the trash of my life on him so that we might have peace with God. That's the God we worship? You better believe it. That's the one I'm worshiping. That's the one we hear about here at this church. He's a promise-keeping God, and he kept his promise at the cost of his very own son. That's why we can be confident in obeying the God who is a promise-keeper. Isaac did not know that he would be the sacrifice And he had had no idea about resurrection. His father did. But Jesus, unlike Isaac, he had already told his disciples and those after, destroy this temple in three days I will build it up. I will be crucified and I will raise on the third day. Which, by the way, it's interesting. They arrived on the third day when Abraham had the hope and promise of resurrection. Okay, friends, friends here at the church that we go to, I got to ask a question. So what? What does this mean to us today? How do we go out of here, back into the world, any different than how we entered? This, these two stories, especially the fulfillment of this story, should make a huge difference in our life. First of all, we learn that faith is radically depending upon God to provide whatever is needed to accomplish God's eternal purposes. Are you depending on that? Are you counting on it? Is that where your faith is? Certainly, there are other things that we can learn from this event. That is about history itself. That history is going somewhere. 
We're just a part of that history. But there is a time in which this history will end. And Jesus predicted that. Jesus made a promise. I will come again. The same thing that Abraham said. I will come again. Are our lives being lived with the expectation, the hope, the certainty that Christ is coming again? Because Jesus Christ is the Lamb, we are aware in the book of Revelation that he who is now risen from the dead and ascended is on the throne of heaven. He's ruling and reigning over all things. Therefore, we need not fear the enmity of the serpent or the serpent's seed. There are some things that are causing great fear in the world today, especially in the church and Christians. As you look at sort of the blackness of world history, my friends, there's nothing to fear. Christ is in control. Even over our lives. Because he's on the throne, he will not allow anything to enter our lives that he hasn't first allowed or permitted to come. For his glory and our good. This is where faith is now put to test. Why would God make a promise and then seem to take it back? Well, he didn't take it back. He just makes a way. He finds a way to make the impossible possible. That's the God we have come to know. Now there may be some here this morning who don't know this God. You heard about him. You knew he was crucified. You maybe read or thought that he had risen from the dead. But I'm telling you based on the authority of God's word. Jesus is the promised son. Promised before the foundation of the world. He's referred to in the book of of Revelation as the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. See, God had this in mind from before anything was ever created. Which means each of us here this morning are in the mind and the thoughts and the heart of God. You matter. You matter because you are one of God's chosen people. He's poured out his affection on us. He's awaiting the day we will be with him. I mean, that's an exciting thing for the angels and Christ is to get us home. We'll either get there through death or we'll get there through a a mass resurrection. Are you ready? Some here this morning may never have thought through this. But the Bible says this is the day of salvation. Repent. My heart goes out to all of us here at the church praying that God will become so real that you can trust him to do what seems like the impossible. You will trust him through the deepest, darkest night 
of your life. He will see you through, my friend. He's not like some other friends. He doesn't abandon us when it gets tough or gets dark or dangerous. (laughs) That's when he draws even closer. He's there with us. So let me uh, close in prayer. But I would like to say if there is somebody here this morning who needs the Savior, the promised Son, the Lamb of God, please come talk with me afterwards or one of the elders or pastors. We'd like to show how that will absolutely transform your whole life. And take away the curse that you've been living under. The burden all your life. The fear of death. Will be removed. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for this church. We thank you for Pastor Kevin, Tasha and the kids. For the elders who give leadership of the church. We are grateful. Because when we see the heart of a shepherd, we're mindful of the great shepherd, the good shepherd who cares for us. There may be people here this morning who are bearing incredible load or burden. Father, through what has been said through your word by the means of the spirit, lift that burden and let them put that burden on Christ's shoulders. He will carry it for them all the way to the cross, all the way to Golgotha. Father, forgive us of our sin. Forgive us for not living with radical trust and faith in your power, your resources, when we need them. There may be somebody here who doesn't know you. You know who they are. May your Holy Spirit give to them, even now, a faith to believe and to repent and to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, as we prepare to close with some worship songs, let our hearts be lifted with joy. These stories are amazing, and they are so accurate, and they are so instructive about the kind of God that you are. Give us the faith to believe in all things through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.